I know I, th- I probably threw a lot of you guys off because I've been going live at 2. All of a sudden, I go live at noon. And I was almost getting consistent there, but I have some stuff I need to do around the house. And so I had to push it back a little bit early. But at least we're live four days in a row. It's incredible. Okay, so I've got a great show prepared for you guys. We're going to talk about the GOP plot to destroy Donald Trump in 2024. And let me tell you guys... After I share this story with you guys, you're going to see, you know, a lot of people have said that there's no way that Donald Trump can win the GOP nomination. And uh, I'm going to show you that, in fact, it's almost inevitable. And the big power players, the big money donors are very, very panicked by this. And they have a plot to destroy Donald Trump, uh, which I don't think is going to be successful. But it's very interesting. And it actually connected a lot of dots for me, and I have a pretty interesting perspective on this that you're definitely going to want to hear. We also are going to talk about Project Veritas all of a sudden ousting their, uh, the, the founder of the company, James O'Keefe. was the, the board put him on paid leave and is expected to, on Friday, have a board meeting to decide whether or not they're going to permanently kick him out of the company. And this is absolutely crazy, but I did a little research and I think I got the long skinny. or Is that is that even a term? I got the skinny. I got the low down and dirty on that. I think I know what's going on here. And we're also going to touch on the Twitter hearing from yesterday a little bit. Uh, there's definitely a highlight that I want to talk to you guys about. And we'll cover Carrie Lake. I have a little bit of an update for uh, regarding her. So stick around. But first, let's hear a message from the sponsor of this show, Gold Co. With the war in Ukraine, inflation being out of control, and the country being $30 trillion in debt, it's starting to look like 2008 all over again. Millions of Americans watched their retirement savings disappear, while those who invested in physical gold and silver were protected. And if you have $50,000 or more in your IRA, 401k, or savings, you could be at risk again. Right now, thousands of Americans are using an IRS loophole to add physical gold and silver to their retirement savings. Visit NickLovesGold.com now to get a free gold IRA kit and learn how thousands are protected protecting their retirement savings with gold and silver. Protect your savings and you could get up to $10,000 in free silver to do it. Gold Co. has an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau, thousands of customer reviews, and they've helped place over $1 billion in precious metals. We could be looking at a recession worse than 2008, so don't wait. Visit NickLovesGold.com. That's NickLovesGold.com. All right, so let's not waste any time. Let's get straight into it. Check this out. I actually saw this on Jack Posobiec's Telegram. And uh, I read the entire thing, and boy, is this interesting. So this is from Politico. Obviously, it is skewed against, I mean, heavily against Donald Trump. Uh, you'll have to take that with you know into consideration. But this is very revealing about what's going on behind the scenes and why they are so panicked about Donald Trump potentially and what, what appears to be inevitably winning the GOP nomination again in 2024. So this is the GOP uh, plot against Donald Trump. (laughs) And I love the title. The GOP is starting to plot against Donald Trump as if they haven't been since 2015. I mean, (laughs) they're, they're just now starting to plot against Donald Trump. Give me a break. So Republican Party donors and leaders are talking about how to best stop Trump from running away with the nomination again in 2024. But they don't have a clear plan to stop him. Now, this is from an anonymous big donor uh, who said, It is, he said, a five-alarm fire, and there is nobody coming to put it out. It 
in this case is the possibility that once again Donald Trump will prevail over a splintered Republican field, getting the same 30 to 40 percent he received in the early primaries in 2016, enough to win the nomination. He is a Republican. Uh, they're, they're talking about the source. He is a Republican donor and bundler, a Wall Street financer who regularly hobnobs with senior Republican officials, but who also was uniquely for his tribe and an, an early and enthusiastic supporter of Trump. His request for anonymity speaks to the bizarreness of this political moment, where even one-time staunch supporters of the former president are reluctant to say out loud what they and their cohort all say privately. That should the former president win the primary again, he would be very likely to lose again to Joe Biden, even as some polls show him besting his 2020 rival. It is a comment echoed in interviews with dozens of Republican Party members, donors, strategists, and grassroots leaders, many of whom say it is the conversation they are all having privately among themselves, too. How to make sure that Trump doesn't once again take advantage of a split field and walk away with the Republican nomination costing the party not just the presidency, but a chance to retake the Senate and hold on to the House. Just this week, both the Koch brothers affiliated Americans for Prosperity and the anti-tax behemoth Club for Growth signaled that they were looking to rally around a Trump alternative and with the Iowa caucus now just 11 months away, party insiders say that this question how to stop Trump is the one they need to find an answer to before too many contenders start piling into the race. So let me break this down for you guys. This is what they're saying, okay? So you have Trump with a strong 30 to 40% control of the Republican Party. His base is extremely loyal. Uh, and, you know, this is just a testament, by the way, to the fact that over the course of, what, eight years now, they've been attacking Donald Trump with endless investigations, smear tactics, um, you know, lawsuits, all of the bad media press. And what they're saying is that Donald Trump still has the same 30 to 40 percent control of the Republican Party that he did in 2016. And this is very concerning to them because in the primaries, right, you have uh, Mike Pompeo. Uh, saying that he's probably going to run. Mike Pence, Nikki Haley, right? And then you have DeSantis. Well, let's consider, you know, these. Uh, let's consider the fact that you have the pro-Trump base, right, which is that 30%, 40%, and then four, five, six, seven other candidates that are part of the GOP establishment, right? And what the big money donors are worried about, they want to prop up DeSantis, they 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 believe DeSantis has a shot at taking out Donald Trump in the primaries to get the GOP nomination. But what they're concerned about is that you have a split ticket among the GOP establishment. So uh, if, if, if DeSantis can secure, I don't know, 20 percent. Well, well, let's say that Mike Pence can only secure 4 percent and Mike Pompeo can only secure 6 percent and Nikki Haley uh, you know, 2% or whatever, all of that is coming out of DeSantis, right? Because you have people that are loyal to Trump and people that are not. And this this playing field of establishment Republicans, you know, it's just going to be, it's going to be a split ticket, which siphons votes away from Ron DeSantis. So 
they're afraid that if all these other guys decide to run and stay in the race too long, that it's going to cause Donald Trump to win. So what they're doing behind the scenes, and they describe this throughout this article, is they're having private conversations with Mike Pence, with Mike Pompeo, with Nikki Haley. And they're saying, we want you, we're not going to, we're not going to tell you not to run, okay? You know, but once the writing's on the wall, we want you to drop out of this race quickly and endorse Ron DeSantis. Because, you know, that's that's what they see as their path to victory. And so for all of you guys that say Ron DeSantis is not going to run, I mean, this is a pretty damn good indicator that he is. Because they're plotting this behind the scenes. They want it to be Trump versus DeSantis and that's it. And, you know, I actually started to think to myself, I was like, what if, uh, (laughs) this is going to sound crazy coming from me, but I was like, what if Mike Pence (laughs) and Mike Pompeo are actually white hats and this is the plan? You know, Donald Trump has uh, compelled Mike Pence and Mike Pompeo to run, you know, and act like never Trumpers and split the ticket. So that Donald Trump secures the GOP nomination in 2024. I mean, that would be uh, that would be a pretty damn that would be a pretty damn good strategy. And it's so crazy; it just might work. So they're they're saying that they're having these conversations behind the scenes, and all of these people have agreed. Nikki Haley, Mike Pompeo, Mike Pence. They say that they all get it right. None of them are looking to be a spoiler, and are aware of the dangers to the party, if not the country. Of a Trump redo, saying, quote, does Mike Pence really want his legacy to be that he only got 4% of the vote and helped elect Donald Trump? Same goes for Mike Pompeo. Same goes for Nikki Haley. They want to get traction, of course, but there is a higher motivation to pull out more quickly based on what it would mean for the country and the party. Uh, Trump seems to recognize how the prospect of a crowded field would help him. Keeping quiet, even as some of his former closest aides consider their own campaigns and trainings and training his fire instead on Ron DeSantis, the Florida governor, who is leading him in the polls. And so they're recognizing that Trump is being strategic here by putting all of his focus on Ron DeSantis because Trump knows that the more these people stay in the race, the better it is for him and the prospect of splitting the ticket. Right. So what he's doing is. You know, he's saying Mike Pence is his, his, his still his friend, you know, and he's not taking shots at Mike Pompeo. He's not taking shots at Nikki Haley. He's focusing all his efforts on DeSantis and trying to give these other uh, dipshits that are only going to get like 2% of the vote the perception that they have a shot at winning. So we see he's holding fire off on these people because he wants them to stay in the race. And this is very upsetting and very frustrating. Okay, so um, what what this appears to be is it's it's evidence to me that Trump is going to secure the 2024 nomination because I don't think um, Mike Pompeo or Nikki Haley or Mike Pence are going to drop out of the race. I I truly think that they're going to stay in it uh, for the long haul and split that ticket, you know. And if they don't, look, if they all conspire and agree with the globalists and agree with the big money establishment to drop out of the race, to prop up DeSantis, and DeSantis secures that nomination, well, you know what I think Trump should do at that point? 
I think he should run as an independent, sabotage the Republican Party, and say F them all. Because the Republican Party is effectively dead at that point. Uh, but man, this is what's going on behind the scenes, folks. This is this is the way they see. Uh, this is the only way they see to defeat him. Is to c- convince these guys to drop out of the race. Uh, you know, in the early stages. So, if these guys, Mike Mike Pompeo and Mike Pence, stay in the race, then <laughs> perhaps they're white hats, and perhaps this, this was the plan all along. I certainly wouldn't rule that out, and it's a very interesting prospect. Now, we've got 192 people watching. Wow. Uh, which is significantly lower than usual, but it's probably because I threw everybody off by going live at noon instead of 2. But if you guys could smash that rumble button, it would be greatly appreciated. Now, let's move on to the next story. So, um, we talked about the Twitter hearings yesterday, and I found it uh, highly entertaining, especially Lauren Boebert, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene, the firebrand conservatives, you know, just just lighting a fire under Yoel Roth and Vijaya Gad's asses. Well, you know, the power went down yesterday, and it was like a blackout for over an hour. Well, you know, when it came back up, there was still some gems, and I, I promised you guys I would talk about them. Um, so Representative Anna Luna had probably the... She brought the most fire yesterday. And she's a, a Republican in Florida, Pinellas County. And I have a clip of her I'm going to play for you guys, of her blasting Yoel Roth and Vijaya Gad for, and she brought the receipts, communicating with government agencies and DHS-funded nonprofits uh, on a platform called Jira, or Jira, it's J-I-R-A. And when confronted about this, you can see Yoel Roth become literally speechless after he knew he had been caught. First, he denied it and said, I have no recollection of that. But then she pulled up the receipts, and he said, oh, I feel like you're taking this out of context. You knew, you knew that she had pulled something up that uh, was 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 clearly illegal, what they had been doing, and she referred to him as a state actor. Says that this, what you were doing, proves that you're effectively a state actor. And you could see him squirm. So, I'm going to go ahead and play this clip. Again, make sure to smash that rumble button and subscribe if you haven't already. But without further ado, let's play. Without objection, so ordered. Thank you. Whoa, 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 whoa. Ms. Luna. Sorry. <laughs> I had it on uh, 1.75x speed. I always listen to things sped up, but I don't think many of you appreciate that. So we're going to put it on 1x speed, and now I'm going to hit play. Without objection, so ordered. Thank you. Chair recognizes Ms. Luna for five minutes. Thank you, Chairman. Mr. Roth? Mr. Roth? Um, have you communicated with government officials ever on a platform called Jira? Yes or no? Real quick answer. We're on the clock. Not yes to or no? the best of my recollection. Not no. to your recollection? Great. Have, if you did in the event communicate, who would have had access to this platform? That's the nature of my confusion. Okay. Jira did you ever speak to government officials on Jira regarding taking down social media posts? Again, not to the best of my recollection. Can you explain to me why the federal government would ever have interest in communicating through JIRA, mind you, a private cloud server 
with social media companies without oversight to censor American voices. I want to let you know that this is a violation of the First Amendment, and the federal government is colluding with social media companies to censor Americans. Mr. Chairman, I ask for unanimous consent to submit these graphics into record. And Mr. Roth, I'm going to refresh your memory for you. This flowchart behind me. Thank you, Chair. Um, This flowchart shows the following federal agencies, social media companies, Twitter, leftist nonprofits, and organizations communicating regarding their version of misinformation using JIRA, a private cloud server. On this chart, I want to annotate that the Department of Homeland Security, which has the following branches, Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, also known as CISA, Countering Foreign Intelligence Task Force, now known as the Misinfo, Disinfo, and Malinformation, MDM. This was, again, used against the American people. The Election Partnership Institute, or Election Integrity Partnership, EIP, which includes the following, Stanford Internet Observatory, University of Washington Center for Informed Public, Graphica, and Atlantic Council's Digital Forensic Research Lab, and potentially, according to what we found on the final report by EIP, the DNC. The Center for Internet Security, CIS, a nonprofit funded by DHS, the National Association of Secretaries of State, also known as NASS, and the National Association of State Election Directors, NASED. And in this case, because there are other social media companies involved, Twitter. What do all of these groups, though, have in common? And I'm going to, again, refresh your memory. They were all communicating on a private cloud server known as JIRA. Now, the screenshot behind, uh, screenshot behind me, which is an example of one of thousands, shows on November 3rd, 2020, that you, Mr. Roth, a Twitter employee, were exchanging communications on JIRA, a private cloud server, with CISA, NASS, NASD, NASED and Alex Stamos, who now works at Stanford and is a former security of um, security officer at Facebook, to remove a posting. Do you now remember communicating on a private cloud server to remove a posting? Yes or no? I wouldn't agree with the characterization. I don't care if you agree. This... Do you? This is this is your stuff. Yes or no? Did you communicate with a private entity? The government agency on a private cloud server, yes or no? The question was if I could. Yes or no? Yeah, I'm on time. Yes or no? Ma'am, I don't believe I can give you a yes or no. Well, I'm going to tell you right now that you did, and we have proof of it. This, ladies and gentlemen, is joint action between the federal government and a private company to censor and violate the First Amendment. This is also known, and I'm so glad that there's many attorneys on this panel, joint state actors. It's highly illegal. You are all engaged in this action, and I want you to know that you will be all held accountable. Ms. Gaddy, are you still on CISA's Cybersecurity Advisory Council? Yes or no? Yes, I am. Okay. For those who have said that this is a pointless hearing, and I just want to let you guys all know, we found that Twitter was indeed communicating with the federal government to censor Americans. I'd like to remind you that this was all in place before January 6th. So to say that these mechanisms weren't in place and to make it about January 6th, I want to let you know that you guys were actually in control of all of the content, and clearly we have proof of that. Now, if you don't think that this is important to your constituents and the American people from those saying that this was a pointless hearing, I suggest you find other jobs. Chairman, I yield my time. Boom! Boom! I love that last line. If you don't think this is important, I suggest you find other jobs, you rat bastards. Man, so she, uh, the Gateway Pundit refers to her as a rising star, and you can obviously see why. Um, so this, look, uh, we know that they had private communications, CISA, the DHS, and uh, 
you know, other government agencies were sending emails to Twitter, right, requesting certain content be removed. But what she's saying is that they were they were communicating via a private cloud server on this uh, platform called Jira. And basically what Jira is, is a task management program or like, you know, a ticketing system. And it's so this goes far deeper than just emails, right? Jira allows you to create a project and assign tasks to various teams. And a, it allows for a well-coordinated strategic effort and a ticketing system to censor, right? And, and so we've kind of covered this before. This just gives you more information about sort of the, um, the, the, you know, the behind the scenes look at how this worked. Because we covered something called the Long Fuse Report on this show, which was a report actually published by the Election Integrity Project, or as she referenced, the EIP. And, you know, in the lead up to the 2020 election, the Election Integrity Partnership, which was run by the Stanford Internet Observatory and other, uh, you know, I guess, research groups and, and universities, what they did was they set up a ticketing portal where um, the, 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 the private government actors, CISA, DHS, what they could do was literally submit tickets. And in this report, they talk about how secretaries of state and election directors and other uh, state actors would submit tickets, and they even told you how many of them they actually acted upon. And the number was something like 90%. So this this was happening during the 2020 election, and this was the real uh, election manipulation. You know, we know about the Hunter Biden laptop story, right? I mean... Yes, that was election manipulation by censoring a story that could potentially damage the Democrats' uh, candidate. But when you look at how deep the rabbit hole goes in the efforts to censor and how how massive this collaboration was between the public and private sector, it is mind-blowing. So I would say that you know her highlighting this, the EIP, the Election Integrity Project, and this Jira uh, system... It is absolutely <clears throat> it is absolutely one of the biggest things that was dropped yesterday. Now, uh, a lot of people say, I, I read a lot of comments and people said, you know, nobody's going to be held accountable for this. And so this is all just, I guess, political theater, right? Well, that's true on some level. You know, she said you guys will be held accountable for this. And, you know, the reality is that the DOJ is not going to prosecute anybody. Merrick Garland's certainly not going to prosecute anybody. But by putting this information out there to the public, what this allows is for uh, massive lawsuits. I mean, we could file a class action lawsuit. You also have attorney generals in states like Missouri. You know, we have that Missouri versus Biden lawsuit going. And this could be this this could be supplemental evidence to those cases against big tech and government. So the accountability is not going to come from the DOJ, but this being all put on the public record and submitted as evidence, there actually might be accountability, but not through the DOJ. So this is, this is pretty big and this is pretty powerful stuff. I don't want to downplay it whatsoever. You know, I don't think that this is a, a pointless effort. Now, um, apparently there's another hearing going on today 
from the from the Jim Jordan committee, um, the subcommittee on the weaponization of government. So two former FBI agents will detail today how the FBI has become overly political before a new weaponization subcommittee spearheaded by House Republicans. The ex-agents Thomas J. Baker and Nicole Parker are set to sharply criticize what they view as the FBI's transformation into a partisan agency they say has targeted the public and their constitutional rights. Testimony shows the hearing will also feature testimony from Senator Chuck Grassley and Ron Johnson, who is is ranking member of the Senate Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations. Baker's testimony targets former FBI Director Robert Mueller, who was notably appointed special prosecutor for the investigation into alleged Russian interference during the 2016 presidential election. And we know that Jim Jordan has subpoenaed the FBI. And uh, so this is, I guess, the first hearing regarding the weaponization of government. Now, hold on. I got to switch scenes and it's going to play my ad again. So bear with me. With the war in Ukraine, at least I prepared you this time. So we know that Jim Jordan has subpoenaed the uh, FBI regarding their targeting of parents and you know and the, and the education school board and all this stuff right but you know what i think i think um i feel like this is a little bit of a deflection because jim jordan he initially submit requests to the fbi for information regarding the doj's handling of the the joe biden classified document scandal right and he submitted a request, and then they said, sorry, we can't comply with your subpoena, I mean, with your request, because it's part of an active, ongoing investigation. And I said, okay, well, subpoena the bastards, right? That should be the next step. So what Jim Jordan does is he then subpoenas the DOJ for a totally different thing. And uh, it's, it's almost like, we, so we're just going to let that go? And now we're going to talk about something else? It's kind of frustrating because Jim Jordan, they 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 stonewalled him and his request to the DOJ. So, yeah, you submit a subpoena, but you didn't subpoena them for the for the thing <laughs> regarding Joe Biden's classified documents. So I, I'm a little frustrated with this. You know, it, it's like <sighs> I don't know. Jim Jordan yesterday at the the hearing regarding Twitter was not one of the people bringing the heat, I'll tell you that much. He was very lawyery and and sort of, uh, I don't know, I felt like he was kind of playing softball, you know? And it, I just wasn't impressed with Jim Jordan. So, uh, you know, I'm not, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what's going on. But anyways, let's move on to the next story. So, James O'Keefe is now on paid leave from Project Veritas. Uh, yesterday, it was announced that James O'Keefe was put on paid leave from Project Veritas as its board members consider whether to remove him from his leadership position entirely. And like I said at the beginning of the show, after doing a little bit of research, I think I know exactly why. Yesterday, the details were very obscure. Uh, nothing from James O'Keefe whatsoever. And, you know, he's been totally silent about this. And uh, reporters have actually reached out to him to say, hey, what the hell's going on? And he, he, he didn't answer. So, um, yesterday we had a, um, we had Project Veritas release a statement 
And they said, quote, like all newsrooms at this stage, the Project Veritas Board of Directors and Management are constantly evaluating what the best path forward is for the organization. Um, there are 65-plus employees at Project Veritas dedicated to continuing the mission to expose corruption, dishonesty, waste, fraud, and other misconduct in both public and private institutions. To our supporters, we hear you, we care about you, and we will never give up. So they didn't reference James O'Keefe specifically, but it appears that they're implying that there was dishonesty, corruption, waste, and fraud regarding James O'Keefe. So, uh, this Intelligencer article goes on to say, O'Keefe is his organization's guiding ideological force and on-screen face, but his status as its as its day-to-day manager has become uncertain amid reports of internal turmoil, lawsuits from former employees, leaks about its internal workings, and a federal investigation into its conduct in purchasing a diary stolen from Ashley Biden, the president's daughter. Strack's uh, internal message to employees made reference to what he called a distracting time and said that a board meeting had been held to discuss the health of the organization and that while we have not come up with a final solution yet, we have made a few immediate decisions. The message said two top Project Veritas executives, including the nonprofit's chief financial officer, had been reinstated. Multiple sources said that the pair had recently been fired by O'Keefe. So, boom, that's it right there. If anyone was wondering what happened here, this is it. So, uh, two top Project Veritas executives were fired by James O'Keefe, Right? And then all of a sudden, James O'Keefe gets put on paid leave. They're talking about his possible termination. And the two top executives have all of a sudden been reinstated. So, do you know what I think went down here? What I think went down here, because we have the Daily Beast now saying that they have a letter from which was signed by like 16 Project Veritas employees alleging, you know, that he was a big a big bad bully, right? And he mistreated his employees and blah, 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 blah. So what I think happened here is these Project Veritas executives that were just brought on, by the way, like four months ago, and then were fired by James O'Keefe, they got butt hurt, and then they went and got a letter signed by a handful of employees and submitted that to the board of directors, and the board of directors caved. That's what that's exactly what happened. You know, I, I, I don't I don't I don't know that for sure, but that sh- certainly appears to be what happened. So there's a meeting of the Project Veritas board scheduled for Friday when O'Keefe's potential removal is set to be discussed, according to one source familiar with the matter. The source said that Project Veritas was currently divided between a group of employees who are perceived to be loyal to O'Keefe, including his communications advisor, R.C. Maxwell, and the board, which has been dissatisfied with what it perceives as O'Keefe's management. Matthew Tiremand, a conservative ju- journalist who serves on Project Veritas board, and by the way, he's like the ringleader of the board, said he was about to walk into a meeting and could not talk when reached on his cell phone on Wednesday. When asked specifically if O'Keefe was being ousted, he replied, I, was, I just said I was walking into a meeting, and this was not the appropriate time. What don't you understand about that? He did not respond to subsequent phone calls. Two other board members did not respond to phone messages. So they are uh, they are basically not responding to questions from journalists about, you know, what the hell are you thinking? 
James O'Keefe is obviously the founder and face of Project Veritas. Without James O'Keefe, there is no Project Veritas. The board, you know, they have a fiduciary duty to their uh, their donors, right? <laughs> but so so they're thinking that you know, uh, well, we've been receiving reports that James O'Keefe has uh, been mistreating employees and is controversial, so we're going to get rid of him. You think that that's going to make more money for your investors? You you'd have to be absolutely retarded. That doesn't make any sense. So, I I initially thought that this probably has to do with Pfizer or Google because just recently we had uh, Project Veritas release a video of a, a, a doctor. What was he? A chief science something researcher at Pfizer admitting that Pfizer's conducting gain of function research to basically keep the cash flowing, mutating the virus, and developing new vaccines based on their gain-of-function research, and also saying that women are having disruptions in their menstrual cycle as a side effect of the vaccine. Then you have YouTube censor that story, uh, you know, block the video, and then you have a Project Veritas journalist confront the head of trust and safety at YouTube on the street in a public venue asking questions about why did you censor this and shortly after that now the uh the police are investigating the journalist <laughs> that conducted that interview so i'm telling you man these guys have been putting out the, i mean nobody has exposed the deep state's corruption like James O'Keefe and Project Veritas nobody and those two stories were probably the biggest stories they've ever done. And coincidentally, just a few days later, James O'Keefe, the board of directors, and the management within Project Veritas, and a few employees, so-called disgruntled employees, have performed a coup to kick him out of his own company. Th these are not coincidences, folks. So now let's get into the details a little bit more about what these employees are claiming James O'Keefe has done. Over the dozen years since he founded the nonprofit in a carriage house behind his parents' home in suburban Westwood, New Jersey, the group has grown from a shoestring YouTube prank operation into a large, ideologically driven news organization with an annual operating budget of more than $20 million. But former employees describe O'Keefe as an erratic and often angry boss. According to a letter dated February 6th, which was circulated by Project Veritas staff, who were critical of O'Keefe's management, Say he berated and fired the organization's CFO, Tom O'Hara, and its chief strategy officer, Barry Hinckley. Hinckley later wrote a message to the staff saying he had stood up to a bully and had lost his job as a result. The letter included an 11-page list of testimonials from anonymous current employees, describing O'Keefe in the words of one as a power-drunk tyrant. Well, you know what you can do, you baby-back bitch? You can leave the company. If you don't like how James O'Keefe operates, you know, <laughs> calling him a power-drunk tyrant without providing any evidence. On Monday, Project Veritas staffers presented the nonprofit's board with the document covering his behavior, saying they were troubled and frustrated by O'Keefe's management style. Later that day, the board voted to reinstate two executives O'Keefe had fired a week earlier, while O'Keefe went on paid leave. In the memo acquired by The Daily Beast, of course, so, of course, we, we know that this is uh, accurate reporting. Employees wrote 
that working for O'Keefe at Project Veritas could mean being publicly humiliated by the founder and public crucifixions. Employees also claim that staff could even be required to undergo lie detector tests, that O'Keefe was a power-drunk tyrant. Well, so they're, they're complaining about lie detector tests, uh, you know, having to take lie detector tests. And, you know, in other articles, they describe James O'Keefe as being paranoid about potential staff leaking things, right? Well, um, <laughs> I, I wonder why James O'Keefe would be paranoid, right? Exposing some of the most powerful people in the world and their crimes against humanity and managing 65 staff members who all could easily be bribed, coerced, or manipulated, or threatened into leaking things and sabotaging Project Veritas. So, James O'Keefe forcing employees to undergo lie detector tests? Is that really out of the ballpark? If I was James O'Keefe, I would be a paranoid schizophrenic 24-7. Not just that my staff would maybe turn on me, or that they may there may be an effort to sabotage my company, but also, um, like literal people tr- coming to kill me. You know, people coming to kill me. Uh, Google sending hitmen to t- to chop off my head, like stuff like that. That that's the kind of stuff that he probably stays up at night thinking about. And this man's put everything on the line, including his life. So. The, the employees at Project Veritas that submit this letter to, to the board, something tells me that somebody twisted their arm. Because you're trying to tell me this stuff goes back years and years, right? All of a sudden, after he exposes Pfizer and Google, and it becomes one of the most viral, uh, cultural, narrative-shifting things that they've done, now all of a sudden all these employees are disgruntled, and they're calling him a power-drunk Uh, tyrant in the memo employees brought up the use of project veritas money to boost o'keefe's own theatrical interests in december project veritas said it provided a prohibited 20 dollars in excess benefits to o'keefe's last year to pay off pay for staff to accompany him to virginia when he starred in a 2021 production of oklahoma so they're saying that he misappropriated funds to pay for his own uh, I guess his his dream of of being an, an actor or something like that. Well, let's jump back up to here where you where where they say that uh, Project Veritas annual operating budget is more than twenty million dollars. That's what it costs to run the company, and James O'Keefe paid his staff members to accompany him to Virginia, and 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 so they're 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 going to the board of advisors saying that he is a financial liability to the company that he founded, by the way, and built it to what it is because of $20,000 to pay for his staff to accompany him to Virginia. This is this is how they do it. This is how they oust, the board oust the president of the company by uh, saying that he's misappropriating funds. But when you have an annual operating budget of $20 million and... Uh, he provided 20000 and this is him paying his employees. So he paid his employees. This isn't money that he took and put into his own pocket, right? But but this is, you know, they have to grab for something, and this is all that they can get. They say, all the theater stuff and how that is handled makes me very uneasy, the memo stated, and added, in the end, we are in a deficit now. Our fans and potential fans 
Beyond, do not respond positively to all of that stuff. The memo also raised concerns that the money dedicated to musicals risked alienating donors. So that's it. They're, they're saying that, you know, uh, the fact that James O'Keefe is spending money for starring in uh, the 2021 production of Oklahoma, you know, potential donors are looking at this and saying, I don't want to donate money that James O'Keefe's going to misappropriate. That's what they're that's what they're saying. So, um, again, what this all comes down to is a couple of things. There's obviously been infiltration and a coup within Project Veritas. And you have these two uh, chief executives that he fired, and I don't know the reasons that he fired him, but I'm sure it was a good reason. They got butt hurt, okay? And, and perhaps James O'Keefe found that they were there specifically to infiltrate and sabotage the company, right? So he fired them for probably good reason. And then they went and they got a few staff members to sign off on a letter to submit to the board. And the board has ousted the president and founder of his own company. This is absolutely a coup. A coup. And I don't know what what, what are they thinking, dude? Like, everybody that supports Project Veritas, they support Project Veritas because of James O'Keefe. The company is going to go under. And they know this. They have to know this. They're not going to receive another dime from anybody. So they're tanking the entire company in an effort to oust James O'Keefe. And they're not, I mean, their company's going to fall apart. So this can't be about donors. This can't be about uh, money. This has to be an intentional sabotage of everything that James O'Keefe built. Now, I'm a, I'm a huge, huge James O'Keefe fan. The stuff that that guy does is absolutely incredible. And so I want you guys to be aware of this so that you don't give another dime to Project Veritas. Now, they're going to go up for review on Friday to decide whether or not they're ultimately going to get rid of him completely. And so they're going to look at the reaction and see, you know, what happens in the the, uh, days leading up to this. What's the public reaction? Can they still stay afloat without James O'Keefe? They're going to try to evaluate this. And they're going to make a decision on Friday based on the reaction, right? Well, (laughs) regardless of what they do, they're already screwed. Because if they decide to keep them on, (laughs) it's already game over, dude. You you already exposed yourself. Um, But they may try to keep them on. Because they, I mean, maybe they realize that this is going to tank the company. But I still think that James O'Keefe should absolutely part ways and start start um, taking money into his own private project, you know. And I, I imagine that's that's really hard for him to do, given the fact that he built it up himself over the course of over a decade. But uh, clearly, there's been infiltration. Yep, Project Veritas got infiltrated to tank the company. Absolutely, clean up need. Need it at Project Veritas. If you don't like how its founder runs it, leave it. Stop being a bitch. Couldn't have said it better myself. But yeah, yesterday I was I was just baffled by that and very confused. So I think that I think now we figured it out. Now the next and last story regards Carrie Lake. Now Carrie Lake, her appeal, you know, it's been before the appellate court since what February second, and 
we still don't have a decision on her appeal. But we have uh, some very interesting information regarding Carrie Lake. She did an interview with Charlie Kirk. And in this interview, she said that she is currently entertaining a run for Arizona's U.S. Senate seat in 2024 if her election-related court cases don't pan out. Now, previously, this was rumored, I believe by CNN started this, and Carrie Lake fired back and said, we don't talk to CNN, so basically, you know, those, those of you that are saying I'm going to run for Senate are wrong. You know, this is fake news. But now, she's kind of reversed course and tells Charlie Kirk that if her election contest doesn't pan out, she is entertaining a run for Arizona U.S. Senate uh, for, for uh, Kristen Sinema's seat. She said, yes, quote, yes, I am entertaining it. I mean, my number one priority is our court case, and I have full confidence in our court case, and I hope we will get a judge to do the right thing. But I'm also looking at what happens if we don't get a decent ruling in that, and they want me to go away. They want our movement to go away. Lake said, quote, I represent we the people, and if they want us gone so badly that they're willing to steal an election, then I'm not going to let them have that. I won't go away. So basically, you know, if they steal this election and nothing changes and, you know, Katie Hobbs is still governor, the solution is to run again for a different office. And certainly they wouldn't rig that one, right? No, I, I, I don't want to critic. I don't want to be critical of Carrie Lake. Carrie Lake, unlike many of the other Republicans that conceded their race uh, when there was clear election fraud, has fought tooth and nail and done everything in her power to try to rectify the situation. So if they, you know, if she gets shut down in the courts and she decides to take up the fight and uh, run for Senate in Arizona, you know, I, I, I'm not gonna. I'm certainly not gonna condemn her for that. But do we really think that she can win if if it's not fixed? Uh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. She says, though, I've seen some internal polling that shows I'm the only Republican who can beat these other two. I find both of them incredibly dangerous to the people of Arizona. Kristen Sinema's voting record being 93% of the time voting for Joe Biden's agenda. I find Ruben Gallego being a self-admitted socialist really frightening for Arizona. And if I'm the only Republican who can beat them, I would be willing to jump in. A spokesperson for Lake, meanwhile, confirmed to Politico that she met with Republican Senate officials in Washington, D.C., although few details were divulged. A meeting between Lake and the National Republican Senatorial Committee officials lasted about an hour on Thursday, said Lake advisor Caroline Wren. So, uh, this is interesting. Carrie Lake, she thinks that she can win. Uh, the Senate seat in Arizona. And by the way, uh, she did give a little bit of an update yesterday regarding the status of her case. And she is expecting that the appellate court will make a decision within a week. Okay, so I, I really don't understand this process. I'm still learning as I go. But I was expecting a decision on February 2nd on whether or not the appellate court would hear her case, right? Well, apparently it's it doesn't work like that. They're actually, they have to re- review the entire case and all the evidence that was presented at trial and all of the new, um, all of the new stuff that was submitted by Maricopa and Carrie Lake and Katie Hobbs before they'll make a decision. And sometimes that can take time. And the appellate court can also ask for oral argument and, you know, call the attorneys in to present their case, right? So, this could go on for some time. It's certainly not as quickly 
as I thought it would be. And that's perhaps why Carrie Lake wanted to expedite this straight to the Supreme Court, because ultimately this is going to end up in the Supreme Court anyway. But man, this is not a quick process. That's for sure. Um, and it, it could go on for some time. If Carrie Lake's lawsuit is successful, you know, given the fact that this first has to go through the appellate court, then to the Supreme Court, and if she wins, then back to Judge Tom, uh, Thompson, and then if she wins that, then Katie Hobbs is going to appeal that to the appellate court and back to the Supreme Court. I mean, this could go on for quite some time. So I think Carrie Lake is looking at this, and I think she's she's just looking at her other options. I, again, I don't want to condemn her for this. It's not her fault that the election fraud apparatus rigged the election against her. And what she's supposed to do, just go away? You know, I mean, so... <laughs> but man, it's... uh, <laughs> God, I'm getting sick of this crap. I really am. I'm sick of all this corruption. I truly, truly am. So, ladies and gentlemen, please do me a favor and smash that rumble button. Now, I've been contemplating this leading up to this show. I think what I'm going to do here is I'm going to jump on over to Locals... And set up a show for my supporters over there because I've been ne- neglecting you guys. Those of you guys that support me on Locals are so appreciated, man. And I don't mean to neglect you. I've just been really focused over here on the live streams on Rumble. So, I just want to do a supporter stream and engage with my people over there. And interact with the comments section. And maybe cover one or two more news stories. So, if you're not on Locals, you can click that red join button and uh, jump on over there. And, you know, you can give it a little trial run and see how you like it. And if you don't like it, you can always cancel it. But that's what we're going to do. So please join me over on Locals. I want to thank you guys on Rumble for watching. Again, smash that Rumble button. And I will see you next time.